God, you are risen. Your son Jesus Christ came to earth. He died and he came back to life. And God, it's either a fact or it's not a fact. And I believe it's a fact. Because of what I see and what I experience and what I know. And because like Jeremy talked about, your spirit has come to live inside of me. And inside of each one of us who've received that gift. God, there's one message. One question that is the most important question I think we can ask. How can I be right with God? How can I be reconciled to God? And Lord, as we look at that question this morning and try to answer it and look at this story, I pray that you would be speaking to us. Not as a group, but personally. Each one of us, right where we're sitting this morning. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright. Well, today is Easter. Right? We see a picture here of the garden tomb. Throughout the world, we're celebrating a special event, a historical event. A historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. He is risen. Yes, for those of you who are new, we say He is risen indeed when we sort of a call and response. And Now, you might be here today, and maybe this is your first time here. And maybe this is your 1,000th time here. And whatever you're doing here today, you, you probably have some thoughts. You've got your own thoughts about this resurrection of Jesus. You've got your own thoughts. And it's possible you have a, some questions. You go, well, I don't know. He's saying it's history. Is it really history? Maybe you've got questions, more questions about God, questions about Jesus, questions about the resurrection, about faith, about spirituality, and so on and so forth. And guess what? We are glad that you're here today with your questions. I'm glad you have questions because you're engaging with the most important thing in life. And so maybe some of us here can help you, give you some answers to those questions. Or maybe if we can't give you the answers, we can help you start to find the answers to those questions. Or maybe at the minimum, we can help you start to think about how to find the answers to all those questions. We're all on a journey when it comes to faith and spirituality. And on the other hand, maybe some of you are here this morning and you don't know exactly why you're here this morning. Maybe somebody brought you here and you're like, okay, I'll go. Or maybe you came because you kind of got a sense of, well, isn't that kind of what we do on Easter is go to church? Maybe you used to go to church, whatever that meant to you, and you haven't really been in a while recently. But again, guess what? I am glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here and you're joining us because I believe, I am convinced, there is a God. There is a creator of the universe. And I don't believe just that he exists, but I believe that he cares about every single person's life. Every single one of us. And he's involved and he's around us every day, all the time, even right now. And because I believe that's true, regardless of how or why you ended up here this morning, or whatever questions you might have, I believe God has you here for a reason. He has something to speak to you today. I'm confident you're sitting here because He wants you to hear from Him. And so that's my encouragement to you today, as you're sitting here and you're listening, listen, not to me, 
Listen for what God would be saying to you. And maybe there's something in the story today that I'm going to share. See, last week we started on this story. You saw the title slide. It's called The Tale of Two Sinners. It's sort of a two-part story. And last week we looked at the character Barabbas. The criminal, the insurrectionist, the murderer, and how he fit into the story. And if you missed that, of course, our, our messages are always online on the podcast or on our website. Welcome to listen to that. And if you missed it, that's okay. We're going to pick right up here this morning. And see, last week we learned that each one of us, me, you, all of us, every single one of us is guilty and destined for eternal punishment. And we saw that Jesus Christ came to earth to set you and me and everyone else free, just like we sang this morning. He set me free. That's what he came for. And he did it. Why? Because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And in that love, he gives us freedom. And he gives us that freedom for free. We talked about that last week. We don't have to work hard. We don't have to do good to be free. He offers it to us for free. And so that chapter of the story concluded as Jesus was handed over to these Roman executioners. And he was marched up the hill. And so the story continues. And there's four different accounts. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, that's great. There's four accounts, four Gospels. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one, it gives this account. And we see Jesus being tortured. We see him being humiliated. We see him being marched up the hill and publicly executed in a slow, painful, excruciating, agonizing manner. And we're all familiar with that story. We've read about it. Maybe we've seen the movies about it. We certainly heard about it for sure. And so we're going to pick up the story from the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about this story. And so we're going to start there on top of the hill in Mark chapter 15. It's on the screen. I'll read it to you as well. They brought him, talking about Jesus, they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of a skull. And they offered him a wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And this is a tragic and a sad and a horrible story. And when you read it for that first time, you go, Man, I think evil might have won here. 
evil might have had the triumph, but the story goes on to a glorious conclusion, doesn't it? Let's read about it in Luke here, chapter 24. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. These are those women that Brad were talking about in their morning clothes. And they, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. It's the greatest news in the world. He has risen. Good job. See, death does not defeat Jesus. Jesus defeats death. In this battle, Jesus wins. Jesus comes back to life. The final miracle of coming back and defeating death puts the crown on the king and validates the gift of eternal salvation. We love this story and we celebrate it this morning. But we have to ask, don't we? We have to ask, how do I fit into this story? That's a great story. What's it have to do with me? How do I fit into this? Maybe that's one of those questions you've come with here today. How do I fit in? How do I fit in? How does it apply to me? Well, it applies in a lot of ways. But let's rewind back in this story, back to when he's on the cross. Back to, with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Mark doesn't tell us much about those two guys, does he? And neither does Matthew, and neither does John. But if we look at the book of Luke, and we look at his account, we get some more detail on them. I'll put it on the screen here and read it. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death of him. When they came to the place that is called the skull there, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And one of the criminals who were hanged and railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And here we see a little bit more about these two thieves who are hung on the crosses next to Jesus. And I think what we have here is one of the most amazing examples of faith in the entire Bible. We see it clearly here in the example of this man, the penitent crucified thief, how we can be reconciled to God. We can be right with the Creator and it's free and it's easy. So we're going to talk about this this morning. First, we need to understand that all of us, all of us, every single one of us is guilty. Guilty of sin. We're guilty of breaking the universal law of right and wrong. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does sin mean? Well, sin means I miss the mark. And we know what the mark is, right? I think every single one of us can look at our lives and say, yep, I've sinned. 
I think we all instinctively know what those Ten Commandments are. And so also these two thieves had sinned, for they sure, surely had at least broken the command, Thou shalt not steal. And I'm sure they'd broken a lot more, just like you and I. And are we any different? It says here in this verse, All have sinned. All have sinned. All have sinned. And you might be sitting there today and you go, Wait a second. That's not right. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And my question back to you would be, good according to whose standard? If you're good according to your own standard, well, maybe. Maybe you are. But what about according to God's standard? See, we have to understand that God, by definition, God, by reality, is perfect. And so his standard is perfection. Absolute perfection. And like this verse says, and like our eyes show us in our lives, we miss that mark. We miss it. Every single one of us. We fall short of God's glory. Far short of His glory. So we go back to our story of these two thieves who are being crucified and we see a contrast, don't we? There's a contrast between these two guys. On one hand is this guy, and he looks at God, and he thinks God is a tool to be used for his own selfish purposes. It's like to him, God is this special device, like a, like a fire extinguisher. You guys see the fire extinguisher over here on the wall? Nice red, lovely thing. I think I put it there myself when we were building the building. But it just sits there, unused, thankfully, right? It sits there unused until there's an emergency. And I run over and I grab it and I use it to put out the fire and it saves the day. And then it goes back on the hook. That thief, he says, are you not the Christ? Save us and yourself. It's like he's saying, aren't you this useful tool? Be useful to me too. And we do that, right? We just, sometimes we just want to ask God for help on our own terms. On our own terms. We ask God and say, hey, I got sort of this thing going on. Can you help me? Can I pull the fire extinguisher off the wall and use it? And I'll put you back. It's selfish. Our selfish purposes, we do it and we turn our backs on him. But then we see the contrast with the other guy. The other guy on the cross, he says, we are under the same sentence as Jesus. We are receiving the due reward for our deeds. This guy, he sees his own sin clearly, so clearly. He sees that Jesus is not just some sort of special gadget to meet his selfish purposes. He sees that, yeah, I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're guilty of sin, and we need to see that the just punishment for this, this is eternal separation from God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Yeah, sin has eternal consequences. It's got consequences in this life, too. We know about those, and we experience those, but it's got eternal consequences. God sees all sin, and in His perfection, He will eventually meet all sin with perfect justice. And we can get excited about that, because there's so much injustice in our world, and we go, ah, ah, it's not just... But then we start to look back at ourselves and go, well, if he's going to exact justice on everyone else, he's got to do it on me. And my sin is going to separate me from God. All have sinned. All will receive death. And we're talking about death. It's eternal separation from God. 
And that's some bad news, right? That second thief, he realizes it. He says, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. We are receiving the due reward for our deeds. See, that thief, his first step was to say, yep, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. And the second step was to say, oh man, eternal eternal judgment, eternal punishment, it's coming due. It's due to me. The wage is death. The wage will be paid fairly and evenly and justly. I really appreciate this thief. He doesn't hold on to any last bit of self-righteousness. He doesn't say... I was wrong, but he doesn't say I stole, but he says it's just, it's due to me. He sees how clearly he is separated from God. And so I'd ask you today, can you see how you're clearly separated from God? Can you see it? And I understand, oh, look at that, I just want to go, I, I was wrong, but... And it's hard. I understand it's hard to take that perspective on ourselves. It takes brokenness. It takes some sense of guilt. We have to sort of become penitent. We have to be humble to admit this. And so do you have that today? Are you trying to hold on to your own self-righteousness and say, I know I'm wrong, but I'm a good person. We each need to admit and accept that we are separated from God. We are separated from God for eternity because of the sins that we've committed in this life. And that's some bad news. And that's some bad, bad news. And yet, into this big, big problem steps Jesus Christ. And Christ dies for us and he rises again. He is risen. Good, you're awake. Romans 5.8 tells us this. God shows his love. We talked about that last week. He shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is not just some unfortunate guy. He is innocent. The second thief caught it. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. And that's right. We learned it last week. Jesus was the innocent one. He was without flaw. He was without crime. He was without sin. Pilate and Herod and the disciples and the centurion and even this condemned thief all saw it. Do you see it? Do you believe it? Do you believe Jesus is the only one who was ever truly innocent? See, if he is the innocent one, then it is as the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. This bringing of you to God is called forgiveness. It means washing away that penalty that was due. It means Jesus going and saying, I'll accept those wages of sin on his behalf or her behalf. And what can be forgiven? Everything. Everything. The utterly innocent one pays for all of the sins of everyone, everywhere, all time. What a gift. This forgiveness is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that forgiveness is not by anything we do. It's not by good works. It says it's the free gift of God. And so forgiveness, though it costs Jesus everything, it costs you and I nothing. 
Isn't that amazing? Did you catch that? It costs Jesus everything, and it costs you and I nothing. But, as we know with gifts, gifts don't just magically appear in your possession. If you win a cash prize, the money just doesn't show up in your account. You have to authorize it. You have to collect it. You have to take it. You have to deposit it. Which is another way of saying you have to receive it. So there's a free gift of salvation. How do we receive it? Romans 10.9 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's that free gift of salvation. So I'd ask you today, do you believe it? Will you own this? Will you say, yes, this is the truth? See, that second thief, he owned it. He saw it. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, first he recognized, he said, yeah, this is Jesus. He's God. He's innocent. Second, he said, man, this is a gift and it's undeserved. And then he said, I receive it. And so again, we've got to draw that contrast between that first thief and that second thief. The first one, they both, they both said, save me, right? Save me. Save me, Jesus. The first one, he said, save me. But that was really just a selfish, self-centered plea, wasn't it? Hey, can you fix this, this problem I've gotten myself into here? Can you fix that? But the second one said, save me. And it was because he was saying, I am utterly sinful. Jesus, you are utterly innocent and utterly gracious. And so we see the tale of this sinner come to a beautiful conclusion. Because in the midst of the pain and the horror and the ugliness and the yuckiness and the terrible things that are going on here in this crucifixion, what happens? He receives the free gift. And so this thief, this sinner, receives peace with God. He's reconciled to God. Death is upon this man and Jesus says, Don't worry. Today we will rejoice together. On the other side of death, today you will be with me in paradise. Romans 5.1 tells us, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very simple equation. Have faith, have peace. You have faith, you have peace. It's very simple. Now you might look at this, and you look at what Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, and you go, what is paradise? What is that? Is it like Hawaii? What is paradise? Well, clearly this is another word for heaven. We see it used twice in other places in the New Testament. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he's talking and he says, hey, this thing happened to me, guys. It's kind of weird. He says, I, I was caught up in a paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And we see from that that paradise is clearly this, his home where God lives. Now, God is everywhere, and he's amongst us, and he lives inside us, but he has a home, he has an abode, if you will. And it's a place where God has indescribably good things waiting for those who love him. The second use of paradise is found in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, and Jesus is talking to the church, he's talking to believers, and he says... 
To him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this paradise is a place where God is, and there's this tree of life. And we go, what is that? And we look on later in Revelation, and we see that the tree of life is in the heavenly city of God. And I don't exactly know what all of that means or all of that looks, but that's very clearly a picture of heaven. And it's like Jesus is saying, today after you die, you can be with me in heaven. So this horribly, utterly guilty thief gets to go to paradise. He gets to go to heaven. Why? Well, it's definitely not because anything he did. There wasn't really any opportunity for him to do anything, was there? He's up on the cross. There was no opportunity for him to do some good works. There was no chance for him to be baptized. There was no chance for him to take sacraments or to consult the clergy. He was just simply out of time. But he wasn't out of time. He wasn't out of time. He wasn't a good person. He didn't have a chance to prove that he was a good person. Instead, he gets to be in paradise. And I'm sure if you do too, you'll get to meet him someday. It was because of what he believed. He saw he was utterly sinful. He accepted that the wage of his sin was death and it was just. And he believed that Jesus was able to pay that penalty in his place. And he received the free gift of salvation. Like I said, this is one of the most amazing examples of faith in the Bible. It's this beautiful picture, a model for us. Such a hope I see in this man, this saved sinner, an example to follow. And I hope that you see it too. So that brings us to the end of the story of this man. And he goes on to be in heaven with Christ. And so maybe today you've had some questions answered or you know what maybe you have more you probably have more and that's okay. We like questions. But let's clarify it here with four facts. Four facts about what it takes to reconcile with God. I think it's important for there to be facts. We want to hold to the facts and here's the first one. To reconcile with God it's easy. It is so easy. It costs Jesus everything and it costs me nothing. All we have to do, those verses show us, all we have to do is believe. That's it. God says, believe. Period. That's all that thief had time to do. That's all we have to do. And you could say, well, that doesn't seem right. But will you take God at His word? Will you follow His example? In addition to reconciling with God being easy, it's also free. It is free. It costs you nothing. All you have to do is receive it. It is a free gift. Now, will it change your life? Yes, it can change your life. It's changed my life. It's changed so many lives of people who are here. But it's free. It's a free gift. In addition to it being easy and free, it's also a personal decision. It's up to you. It's not up to your family. It's not up to your friends. It's not up to your parents. It's not up to the pastor. It's not up to the church. You don't get in on some sort of group ticket. It's between you and God. And so in that sense, it's private. In some ways, I kind of think the story of the thief demonstrates it, doesn't it? Right? Why don't we hear this story repeated in all four Gospels and we only hear it in one? The other ones just say, there are others, these guys up there. 
See, I wonder, and I don't know if this is true, but I wonder if maybe this story only is told to us in one place because nobody saw it except for Jesus. Nobody else heard it. Maybe it was Jesus and he comes back from the dead and he spends these days with his disciples and maybe he told somebody. Somebody asked and he said, yeah, well, you know what happened there? And he told that story and that got recounted on and Luke picked it up and put it in his passage. And I think that illustrates this point that the decision is personal. It's between you and God, not anyone else. Final fact I want to point out is that it's not too late. It's not too late. While you're still alive, until the moment you die, there's hope. There's hope. Until that last moment, every single one of us can turn to God. We don't need six minutes or six hours or six days or six years to earn it. It only takes an instant. It takes an instant. But when will you die? When will you die? It could be today, it could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be next year. But whenever it happens, then it will be too late. It will be too late. And so I don't want to scare you, but I want to let you know this is a serious thing. And so I want to urge you today, don't let it become too late. God's brought you here today, I believe that, to hear this message. And so if you have not received the free gift of salvation, I ask you to consider... Do it today. Do it this morning. Do it now. It's not too late. I love that song we sang earlier. The line in it, When I come to die, give me Jesus. We don't know when we're going to come to die, but we want to have Jesus. And he says, here I am. I am a free gift. So will you make that your prayer today? You can become a follower of Christ. You can receive the free gift of salvation today. And so I'm going to close in prayer here. And as I do, I just ask that everyone would just sort of have respect for other people. Just close your eyes, bow your head. And I just trust that maybe to some of you, God is speaking today. And you look at your life and you go, hmm, I'm not reconciled with God. But I hear this and I go, wow. I could do that. And so today, as, as we pray here with our eyes closed, I'm going to flash on the screen if this is something that would be helpful to you. And you go, how would I do that? How could I sort of receive this gift? And, you know, it's not about a magic prayer or a magic formula or coming up to the altar. But in your heart, again, it's personal. It's between you and God. And if you say, yeah, that's where I want to be. And on the screen there's even a prayer that you could pray. And I'll just pray it right now and you could pray along with me if you want. And say, God, I recognize that I am a sinner. And that these sins of mine separate me from you. And I accept that the punishment due for these sins is eternal death. And I recognize that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he died on the cross and rose from the grave, thus satisfying the justice due for my sins. And now, right now in this moment, God, I I receive this free gift of salvation. And I invite you to come into my heart and my life as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, Lord, I trust there's maybe some even this morning who are reconciled to you. 
and pray this prayer. God, thank you that it is easy and free and personal and that it's not too late. Regardless of whatever deep hole of sin we find ourselves in in our lives, God, we look to that thief and his sin led him to this place where he was being executed. Maybe some of us have sins in our life. We say, I ought to be executed for those too. And you say, here's my forgiveness. Will you take it? We can take it. God, thank you for offering that free gift of salvation to us. In Jesus' name, amen.